0: You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we, more than we even know, are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. And there are so many reasons why we do. They all trace back to one reason, and that is sin and hard hearts. But this is not the way you designed us to live. You designed your people to walk in fellowship with you on this earth, this temple that was meant to bring praises to you. And yet, we wander and we stray. God it's it's times like this morning where we come together and we sing songs of praises to you and songs of reminders of the gospel the good news that that warms our hearts back towards you and we need these moments we need these sundays we need these lord's days to remind us that we aren't finally defined by our hard hearts or our feelings or our inadequacies or our sins we are defined As children of God. You said, if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. God, we need you to convince us of this this morning. God, the the isolation that this pandemic has brought on, it it drives us to, to thoughts that aren't of you It drives us to to thinking that sometimes we're not enough or sometimes we don't think that we we need other people or or that we are enough and we don't need you. Oh, God, forgive us for these things and remind us with your steadfast love this morning that the the proof of your love for us is that you gave up your one and only son. How will you not also freely give us all things So God, as we gather together in this this place, remind us of your love. Remind us of your greatness and and your holiness. And and, and despite that you are perfectly just and perfectly righteous, that you are perfectly merciful and perfectly perfectly gracious. God, we ask that you would do that not only for us, You would do that for other gospel preaching churches in this city. God, we pray for Grant Avenue Baptists, and we ask that you would bless them with the, the knowledge of your love for them in Christ Jesus. And I pray from the pulpit and from the songs and from the prayers that your name would be made great and your gospel would be known, and your people would be edified and built up to do marvelous things in this city. God, we ask that you would do this across the world. We're, we're praying, Father, for the, the missionaries and, and global workers that our money supports, that you would, you would use them to take the good news to people who haven't heard it. And you would give them hearts of flesh in place of hearts of stone. Oh God, unless you do it by your spirit, it will not be done. We pray that you would do this. You would win many people for your namesake. God, and we we ask that you would strengthen us in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus this morning. God, as we will look at hard things in your word, how sin has brought brokenness and fracture to relationships, you from the beginning have desired that we flourish. So would you open our, our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts that we may understand it and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight O oh Lord our rock and our Redeemer and our one true husband in Jesus name amen welcome it is really good to see you and to see families here. Uh, so we have, we have little children among us and I've really, really missed that. Uh, and I'm gonna try to not only keep it short this morning, uh, but I'll try to address the children. So kids, we're gonna be talking about families. So it, you can just think of your own family, mom and, mom and dad, husband and wife. They're they meant to uh, reflect to you Jesus. And I, I want you to think about all the ways that your parents do that for you. And give thanks for them. Also, uh, just to put your mind at ease, uh, Jason Hahn was here early this morning. He was wiping down things with Clorox wipes. So I I don't think any of you are probably nervous about it. But if you are, just know that all the COVID is gone from this room. All the ones that we didn't bring in. So it's so good to worship with you this morning. Uh, If you're not there, turn to Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And I, I, we should start off with some good news. The divorce rate in America has reached an all-time low. And this, is happening, this has happened during the pandemic, no loss. The Institute for Family Research or Studies reports that 58% of married couples have come to appreciate their spouses more during the lockdown and half agree that their commitment to marriage has deepened. That's something to praise God for. Uh, However, because we live in a fallen world, we know there are still problems, don't we? Uh, If you're in any kind of relationship, you know that life isn't perfect. The amount of new marriages is also at a very low rate, if not an all-time low rate. Uh, And if we are paying attention to our culture and what is happening in our culture, we can see that there are big questions there are big questions surrounding marriage. And the big questions are not, is it okay to get a divorce, necessarily? But the questions are, is marriage even good? Even necessary? Like the disciples, some say, it's, it's better not to marry, if this is the case. And we have questions that are unique to our culture too, like, if marriage is good, why would you stop a man from marrying a man or a woman from marrying a woman? And all of this, friends, points to a radical individualism in our culture. And unless we come off with a self-righteous air, the church really is not innocent in any of this, are we? We too have treated marriage and relationships as if they are all about the individual. If it doesn't make us happy, get rid of it. The divorce rates in the church are startling as well. Without realizing it, the church, we Christians, have let the influence of radical, expressive individualism shape our lives and relationships. What do I mean by expressive individualism? I mean, it's it's that thing that says we get our identity by expressing what we are. Our identity is what we want it to be, and it must be expressed. Friends, the book of Mark tells us that Jesus, in Jesus, God has come to completely change our minds and our lives through his person, his teaching, and his work. And our passage this morning tells us that this worldview shift, like this complete turning of our world upside down, starts by going back to the beginning, the first principles of all things, that there is a God. He created everything good. Therefore, he should be obeyed and loved. This is the the first principles of all things. And in this passage, Mark reports for us that Jesus does teach about divorce and remarriage. But we're not gonna spend a lot of time on that. We're we're gonna spend a lot of time on what makes humans flourish. And I believe that's what Jesus is teaching. That's sort of the foundation. It gets back to the expressive individualism and and why our relationships and our world is a mess. It's because we we do not believe or live like God created everything like it is for good. So if you have questions about divorce, I I, I don't wanna be callous to your questions. If you have questions about maybe your divorce and remarriage or your parents' divorce and remarriage or a family member's divorce and remarriage, I'd love to talk to you about that and counsel with you. In the future, the elders will be working through what our position on this means for church discipline and church leadership. But today I wanna get back to the foundation Why why there's a problem, and and how God created everything to be good. So I I believe Jesus' teaching tells us how God, from the beginning, meant for mankind to flourish. And that's what he's telling us here in Mark chapter 10. Through his teaching, God has designed humans to flourish in covenantal relationships. God has designed Humans to flourish in covenantal relationships. And because he's done so, we should not harden our hearts. God has designed humans to flourish in covenantal relationships. So do not harden your hearts. So let's set the scene. Jesus, for the second time in Mark chapter 9, has told his disciples plainly that he's bringing the kingdom. But the way he's bringing the kingdom, he says this. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. This is the way you're bringing the kingdom? Uh, The radical nature of this kingdom means that the least is the greatest and the servant of all. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be like a little child, completely dependent on someone else for everything. The radical nature of this kingdom is that you must let not let anything stand in the way of the one who gave his life for you. When David preached about it last week. You must take radical measures to enter this kingdom. If your hands and eyes are more important than the king, you cannot enter it. Because Jesus came as our holy offering, we too should offer our bodies as sacrifices. And then, I don't know if you noticed it last week, but Jesus ends his teaching, this radical teaching about the kingdom, with this statement. And be at peace with one another. And be at peace with one another. The radical nature of this kingdom means that our relationships are redefined. See, it's it's not about me, and it's not even about the other person, but about a different reality. God is at the center of the universe. And when we are in line with that, that reality, then and only then will we flourish. So God designed humans to flourish in covenantal relationship. So do not harden your hearts. We're going to look at this through two points this morning, okay? Uh, Individual-based realities and covenantal-based realities. Individual-based realities and covenantal-based realities. Now here, God's word. And he, that is Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is God's holy word. In 1 through 5, we see these individual-based realities shown in the Pharisees' question of Jesus. They had the wrong question. And they show that they they live in this uh, individual-based reality by asking their wrong question and misusing the law. Notice, Did you notice the question they asked as they came to Jesus and the motive behind the question? Mark tells us their whole purpose for interacting with Jesus was to trap them. You can see that. The Pharisees, in verse 2, came up to Jesus in order to test him or trap him. They, they wanted to set a trap for him, and ever since Mark three six, Mark tells us that the Pharisees were in league with the Herodians. That's that's Herod's people. They were in league together to destroy Jesus. That was their one unifying purpose. Let's get rid of Jesus. And you remember John the Baptist? He was he was sort of a prototype of Jesus. The same way Jesus, the same way John was. On his way to death, so Jesus is on his way to death. And it is around this same topic of divorce that Herod gets imprisoned by Herod Antipas. John the Baptist, I don't know if you've read much of John the Baptist's teaching, but he, he doesn't mince words, right? Have you noticed that? Like he, he does, he's not afraid to call people broods of vipers, He's not, uh, he's not afraid to call out people. He calls out Herod Antipas and Herodias' marriage as not lawful. He says, uh, this marriage is not lawful, Herod. And for, for that teaching, he gets sent to prison and eliminated. For telling the truth, he was imprisoned and executed. Friends, this is what expressive individualism does. It says no one can tell me I'm wrong. If I want this, if I desire this, it must be right. And whoever stands in my way, I will cancel. Well, for Herodias and Herod, I mean they literally canceled John, don't you see how destructive this is, friends? Don't you see how Expressive individualism destroys families and other people. Don't you see how it destroyed John the Baptist? Though you may not see how individualism destroys you, it will destroy you. Can you see how it destroys others? You know, my family is watching. We had to quarantine uh, for... A while, can't remember how long exactly. And during that time, we started watching the Avengers movies, the timeline on Disney Plus. And I, I'm not big, I'm not big into it, but I, I started really to enjoy. Uh, okay, I don't enjoy all of it. I'm not re- recommending it wholeheartedly. Okay, there's parts about it I don't like, and I'm conflicted about. And yet, part of the Avengers movies. One of the great themes that I've noticed so far in these movies is that the willingness to give yourself up for the good of others is a theme. And that's what leads to greatness. It's truly heroic. right? And you see the contrast with with some of the characters who don't live that way, at least not yet. This is pushing back against expressive individualism that tells us, in order to get meaning and happiness, I have to do what I want. Yeah. And the Pharisees show us by their question, even though they were a communal people, they were actually living for themselves. So let's go back to the Pharisees' question again and look how callous it is. They say, It is lawful, or is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Friends. Just step back and look at the question. This is a selfish question. A narcissistic, individual-based reality that has no regard for how it will affect the family, the spouse, or the community. It is only concerned about the rights of the man within the law to be as free as he believes. The law's concession for divorce was meant to protect the innocent party the most vulnerable party, which was most often the wife. But if we're honest, no party involved in divorce can finally be protected from the hurt and pain of divorce. Individual-based realities lead to hurt because of hard-heartedness. It's because of questions like this that say, what can I do within the law to get away with as much as I can? So, what is the answer to individual-based reality? Are you waiting for Jesus to to blast these hypocrites? What's he going to say to them? Jesus, with, I believe, a heart of compassion and wisdom, fires back not a retort, but a heart-searching question. Notice what he says. What did Moses command you? Son of God is not primarily interested in winning a moral argument with the Pharisees. But he's interested in getting at the heart of the matter. He is showing them that he is not against the law. And that's one of the reasons, most likely, that they were uh, asking this question of Jesus. To to show that he was at odds with the law. And to to show Herod that he was against divorce. And so, do to Jesus what he did to Herod. Execute him. Cancel him. And Jesus will not allow them to pit his views against the law. He, after all, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So he asked them, what did the law command? Now that's a very important question. Jesus begins to take them back to the first principles right away. What does the law command? Notice he doesn't say, what does Moses command about divorce? He expects them to know that Moses didn't command anything about divorce. There were no commands regarding whether you should divorce or not. And they answer that Moses allowed them or permitted them to write a certificate of divorce. Which is true. Moses did do that. But that wasn't Jesus' question, was it? It was what did did Moses command? And do you see how Jesus is trying to get them back to the first principles? Back to the way humans actually flourish. Divorce was not it. They come up with the exception to the rule. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Trying to find the exceptions to the rule? Instead of obeying the rule that is best for you and for everybody? What Jesus wants them to see is something more fundamental than the exception. Jesus, he wants them to see that divorce was not part of the good creation. Divorce was a gracious concession God made because the fall had produced hard hearts. And Jesus tells them this in verse 5. He said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote this commandment. You can find it in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Hear how one old commentator puts this. He says, Jesus did not question the law, but his answer reaches back to first principles. Moses' permission to divorce, in verse 4, was an accommodation to weakness. It was an attempt to bring some sort of order in a society that disregarded God's standards. But that is not what God intended in marriage. His design in creating man and woman was that marriage should be an unbroken, lifelong union. A distinction must be made between what is absolute will of God and what, is, what, what the provisions are that take into account the sinfulness of man. And are intended to limit and control its effects. I'm still quoting here. Moses' bill of divorcement falls into the second category. See, the rabbi's friends mistook God's gracious provision in allowing divorce as his approval of it. End quote. What God provided for people with sinful, hard hearts was that if they could not forgive over adultery then he would allow divorce friends the point is that hardness of heart leads people to break an indissoluble union that God never created to be broken only fulfilled in him and this, this leads the Pharisees to try to trap and destroy the son of God this kind of hard heart friend do you have a hard heart? How is it leading you to think about God? It could be through this pandemic. God has revealed to you that you just really don't trust Him. You have a hard heart, you know, because He hasn't given you the gifts that you think you need to fulfill your calling. That He's He he has isolated you in in a way that has, has, has made your heart hard against him. He's not giving you the job you want, the education you think you need. He's not giving you the intelligence you desire. God is saying, do not harden your heart against we read about that same hard heart in the children of Israel. You know, I was reading through Hebrews in my own Bible reading this past month. And, and, and in Hebrews chapter 3, the author says, do not harden. In order to get rest and enter the true land, he says, do not harden your heart as they did in Meribah and Massah. Though they had seen God's work, they, they grumbled against him. That's a quote of Psalm 95. And both of those passages are are pointing back to a specific instance in Exodus 17. And Exodus 17 tells us this story of the children of Israel. You'll probably remember it. God had brought them safely out of the land of Egypt, their slavery, into the wilderness. And he's leading them around with his own presence. And they go for a time without water. And in Exodus 17, it tells us that they were quarreling with Moses, arguing with Moses, and grumbling against God because they had no water. And God says that they had hardened their hearts against him. I see that hand. You can come forward, young man. Or... <laughs> so cute. It's so cute. So they had hardened their hearts against God. And here's notice what they said. They question, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is he among us or not? Individual-based realities say whether the Lord is among us or not is based on whether he gives me what I want and need. The hard-heartedness of the Pharisees and of Israel and of you and I, you and me, says the same thing. I will not believe you unless you give me what I want unless you do things my way. This is not the way it was from the beginning. That statement, Jesus says, this is not the way it was from the beginning. Jesus begins to introduce covenantal-based realities. He's moving on from the the pharisaical, individual-based reality to what he had from the beginning, and that's covenantal-based reality. Verses 6 through 9. Jesus now answers the Pharisees' questions, and, and the ones they could not answer. That question, what does Moses command? In order to answer the Pharisees' question about divorce, Jesus begins to lay the foundation for human flourishing. He designed humans to flourish in covenantal based realities covenantal relationships and these look like he designed humans to flourish under authority and union okay under authority and union under good authority in verse 6 did you notice he said getting at their question getting at his own question what did Moses command Moses said God made them male and female right at the very beginning If you want to flourish, if you want to know the answer about divorce, go back to the beginning and see who God is. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the authority. Authority is a hard word, isn't it? Our minds automatically go to the misuses of authority in Scripture. And from the fall on, sinners regularly use authority for self and not for the good of others. Lord Acton famously said that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is how sinners use power and authority. But from the beginning, it was not this way. God used his power and authority to establish image bearers to flourish on earth. The way he did this was to make mankind male and female. Man and woman were made to correspond to one another in very good ways. So Jesus takes the question of whether or not the law permits man to divorce back to creation principles. And as often questioners of God are, I'm sure that they were very frustrated. You're not answering my question, but he is, friends. You're asking the wrong question. Before the fall, God created mankind, male and female, man and woman. He created Adam and Eve, male and female. This isn't very popular, especially in our city, but God created a gender binary that cannot be changed. If, If we're honest with ourselves, and even with the science, we know that this is true, even if it makes us uncomfortable. People are created in the image of God, and they were created as male and female, in their bodies, right down to their DNA. It cannot be changed. This is a biblical creation reality. Being male and female is not primarily about our desire or feelings. It is primarily about a created reality. Our feelings and desires are are often disordered, and sometimes we want to be something we are not, but we cannot change the reality. Sex or gender is not a social construct. There are socially constructed identities that come in any culture, right? We all know this, cultures say things like, in order to be a man, you must grow out your beard. You must drive a truck or wear Wrangler jeans. Or whatever. Friends, that does not make you a man. Just like it doesn't make you a woman to dress in pink or like Pride and Prejudice. You, You are a woman or a man because God made you that way. And he longs for you to flourish. Human flourishing then begins with God creating a people in his image and being their king. He walked with them in the garden. He talked with them without any interruption, without any sin blocking. Living in covenant-based reality of God-centered universe means that we have an authority outside ourselves, and that authority is good and tells us how to live. The question comes, what do we do with friends that do not believe us? Our friends or friends who believe that they are transgender. Friends, we don't. Christians do not cancel people. The gospel tells us that we love. So what do you do with your friends? You love them. They too are created in God's image. Friends, we we should have them over for dinner, lunch, coffee. Talk to them as human beings because that's what they are. We should pray. We should pray for wisdom for when and when not to speak. And we should live out our masculinity and femininity in godly ways that adorn the gospel. Let's, let's not perpetuate the culture's definition of what a man or a woman is. Even if you think it's right. Right. Let's get back to the Bible and what the Bible tells us a man and a woman is. So what happens when we choose to try to live outside of this reality? Friends, Genesis 3 through Revelation 18 happens. It's sin wrecks this world. Brokenness. Genocide. Adultery. Lying, gluttony, drunkenness, hatred, child abuse, divorce, is what happens when we live outside of this reality. And I'm not speaking, I'm speaking of mankind in general, whether you're religious or non-religious. We know both religious and non-religious people have committed these sins. When we live outside of the authority of God, we are cursed but it was not this way from the beginning. From the beginning, he made them male and female, and it was very good. In God's good authority, he made man and woman and designed them to be brought together in a union for human flourishing. Together, not alone, in an unbreakable union. Friends, so God's good authority leads then, lastly, to this unbreakable union. It's the relationship God established for humans to flourish in. Friends, without this union, we're talking about marriage now, without this union of marriage, there would be no human race. It would have died out. It was only... It was the only human relationship that took precedence over mother and father. And we know how important the relationship was to God. Mother and father relationship. In the Ten Commandments, God puts it right in there. Children, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land. Jesus is saying that marriage of a man and woman takes precedence over this. It doesn't mean you stop honoring your mom and dad, but you do not honor them in the same way. You're not, no longer under their authority in the same way. This is a covenant-based reality. In some mysterious and beautiful way, man and woman in marriage become one. They no longer live individual-based realities, but covenant-based realities. No. No. Maybe just as many people in here are as single as are married. I do not mean that every person has to get married in order to flourish. My, my wording was on purpose covenant based relationships. Now, that's a normal way. Marriage is the normal way God makes people flourish, but it's not the only way. The one way is covenant based relationships. Covenant-based life is is the one reality in which humans flourish. A marriage between a man and a woman is the only suitable sexual relationship of human flourishing. But you can be a single person and flourish to the glory of God. I mean, it's it's probably old, but Jesus was single. Paul was single. And they used their singleness for the glory of God. They were definitely in covenant-based relationships. The only truly unbreakable union is not marriage. is the union of God and man. Jesus made this union a reality in his death and resurrection. So single person, married couple. We must find this covenant-based reality, this union, in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He has secured it for you through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father. Jesus made this union a reality. Friends, he he not only made that union a reality, your personal relationship with him, he made it visible. Does anybody know where he made that union visible? In the church. He doesn't just bring you to himself, He brings you to all your brothers and sisters. In fact, he makes it so visible that he makes it local for us. It's it's not just every every Christian everywhere. He, He visualizes it, makes it visible in a local assembly like ours. That's why it's so important to view our life together, our membership together as a covenant relationship. Friends, we don't just come and go as we please in and out of church no more than we come and go as we please in and out of marriage. This is a voluntary union. But it is a union. And when uh, when a covenant-based relationship of a church is serious, it reflects the glory of God in a way that promotes human flourishing. So you're not only in a personal union with Jesus, you are a you, that union has become visible in his church and the gospel becomes displayed. That, that means certain things for us, friends. It means taking our, our membership serious. There's, they're like marriage vows. When you come in, what should we be doing when we come into membership? Or, when, or you should need to ask the question whether you want to come into membership at all. You you should want to come into membership because that's where it becomes visible. You you it it, it is like a marriage relationship or a relationship that says I don't need uh, I don't need marriage or a piece of paper to say that I love this person. A covenant, a promise written down means more than an, a, a lack of the promise. It, mean, it means more than. Uh, than then saying, uh, I, I will keep this union uh, as long as I live before myself. God is telling us, like the marriage covenant, the church covenant, the, the church life together is a covenant relationship. It's a covenantal relationship that we should take seriously. So ask yourself this question. When you, when you are a member, do you take the spiritual good of the person in this church, other members of this church, as your responsibility? Do you take their spiritual growth on yourself? Like a good husband and a wife would do, right? I, I've been married to Bridget for 23 years now. If I did not care about her spiritual good, I would not be a good husband. I would not be a godly husband in covenantal relationships. It's the same principle in the church. We're not finally responsible for how each other chooses or decides or sins or doesn't sin, but we are finally responsible for their discipleship in a way that pleases God, in a way that builds each other up. Friends, I, I encourage you if you're not a member of this church, the next membership class, come and see what it's all about. If you are a membership, if you are in membership at this church, I encourage you to take the discipleship and the holiness of those in this church as your own responsibility. Jesus will, will finally do it all, but he has given us to do this as well. Friends, this is an unbreakable union. This union of God and man is unbreakable and it will last for eternity. And we see in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus sits down with his father and with his people and the marriage is consummated at a table. And we we are brought together visibly reminded, visibly reminded in the elements of communion which are a small foretaste of this marriage supper of the Lamb. Where We're reminded of this unbreakable union that, that Jesus has sat us at his table. Though we were enemies and though we were scoffers of him, he's brought us to his table as children and is feeding us on himself. We're reminded that Jesus is their only true husband we are his bride as his church and he is our husband and the bride eyes not his her garment but the dear bridegroom's face and so we will not cast our eyes on glories, but we will cast our eyes not on the glories of heaven but on the glory of jesus christ when we see him and it is in this that finally our individual based realities are smashed and we see in, in in the covenant based reality we have all that we ever need in Jesus Christ friends i pray that as you think through how this will all apply to divorce and remarriage but how this applies to your life in general maybe you friend have never received Christ as your savior He longs for you to flourish, to to be well, to to be the person that he has created you to be. I encourage you to turn to him. If you want to talk about that more, I'll be around and I'd love to talk to you or or someone around would love to share the gospel with you and encourage you to repent of your sins and, and turn to him. He is the only one who has finally kept the covenant. He is the only one that kept the covenant for us. And in him we can be finally secure. Now as we turn to uh, singing our last songs and taking to communion together, I just want to remind you again in the communion elements, we're reminded that Jesus gave up his body and shed his blood for you so that you can be in this covenantal relationship, that you can flourish and thrive no matter where you are in this life. And as uh, as a Baptist church, we, we believe that uh, Communion is for those who have turned from their sins to Jesus and place all of their hope in Him. Confess their sins and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to forgive them. Mm -hmm. And then also we believe that as uh, as people of God, our first act of obedience, the, the, the normal way that we know that we are Children of God, uh, the normal way that we obey God, the first step is follow the Lord in discipleship, is baptism. And so normally uh, we would ask that if you're going to take communion, that you would be a baptized believer. Now, I'm going to give you some time for confession. I'm going to pray a prayer of confession. I'll give you time for a silence, for personal confession, and then we will sing and take Lord's Supper. Father, we confess we have lived for ourselves and often do and will continue at times. But we know that our reality has changed because Jesus has made us hate our sin. Father, forgive us for the ways that we pursue our selfish lusts, our desires. Forgive us for the way that we have acted towards our families, our friends, our co-workers in in envy or in anger or in annoyance. Father, forgive us for Jesus' sake. We, We turn our eyes towards him. And in hope, we confess knowing that Jesus will forgive us. In Christ's name, amen. Now take a moment of silence for personal confession. Brothers and sisters, lift up your head in your hearts and hear these words of pardon. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls,